tonight's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35, and it's found in your few Bibles on page 1028. Jesus presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the, fall, the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Good evening, everyone. Happy Christmas, if I haven't said that to you already. Um, the next two weeks on Sunday evening services, we're going to be looking at two elderly people, uh, Simeon, who we've read about tonight, and next week we're going to be looking at Anna, who also encounters uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the temple that same day. Um, the, the, these two, uh, Simeon and Anna, are here right at the start of Luke's Gospel, um, which is handy, really, because hopefully many of us are about to start reading Luke's Gospel as part of our community Bible experience. We're going to spend the first couple of weeks of January reading through uh, the whole of Luke's Gospel. Um, if you haven't heard about that um, uh, and you'd be interested in taking part, um, I haven't been able to lay hold of a reading plan tonight, but we have got reading plans available. And I'm looking towards Andrew here, uh, who's one of the coordinators of this project. Do you know where we can lay hands on a, on a reading plan? Come and speak to Andrew. So Andrew's the guy who led our prayers earlier. Uh, if you're interested in getting hold of a reading plan or even a, a little book uh, to help you read through the whole of the New Testament, beginning with Luke, um, in, starting from January, um, do get hold of one of those copies of the reading plan uh, as soon as you can. Um, so let's pray, shall we, and commit our time to the Lord and ask him for his help as we begin to look at Simeon. Our Father, we thank you for uh, what we've been able to reflect on tonight uh, as we've been thinking about your son coming into the world to be our saviour, and for the calling on us to wait, to be people who wait for your salvation to fully come. And Father, we pray that you would uh, help us in both of these areas tonight as we uh, come to your word. We pray that we would see more of the glory of your Son coming among us, and that we would be more strengthened, uh, more ready to wait for his coming again in glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hands up if you know who Victor Melger is. Uh, this is your kind of Christmas trivia. Most people, 
except probably some people over here. So people over here, Victor Meldrew was a notoriously grumpy uh, character in the uh, British sitcom One Foot in the Grave. Uh, he's kind of had to take early retirement and nothing goes right in his life uh, from that point on. His kind of famous catchphrase is, I don't believe it. Uh, and he gets kind of very upset uh, at all kinds of uh, things that happen to him. Well, hands up if you ever feel a bit like Victor Meldrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if you wanted to find somebody in the scriptures with one foot in the grave, it'd be hard to beat Simeon, wouldn't it? Have a look at verse 25. Uh, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He, he's, a, he's a very righteous man, but there seems to be only one thing keeping Simeon going. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So it's not spelled out to us, but we all expect that Simeon is this aged figure uh, waiting there in the temple for this one thing. There's literally one thing that he's living for, to see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the promised King. And then we get in this passage, this beautiful moment, as old Simeon takes this newborn baby in his arms and he sings. He praises God, now my eyes have seen your salvation. Well, perhaps we feel like we've got one foot in the grave as we are heading into this new year. Maybe our personal circumstances aren't all that we'd like them to be. Perhaps we're worried about things. Perhaps we feel grumpiness and discontent rising within us as we think of how things are. Perhaps we feel like nationally we've got one foot in the grave as we enter 2019 with all the uncertainties that it holds. And perhaps uh, as a church in Northern Ireland, church in Belfast, do we feel like we've got one foot in the grave as we go into this new year? Well, tonight, as we look at Simeon and look at the salvation that he sees, perhaps we'll find something that won't make us grumpy, but something that will be worth singing about as we enter this new year, even if we've got one foot in the grave. So, firstly, let's have a look then at what Simeon is waiting for. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, Luke tells us Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And similarly, uh, dipping into next week very quickly, Anna, in verse 38, is um, one of a group of people, we're told, who is looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And it turns out Luke is actually using the same word uh, for both of those verses. Both of these people are presented to us as people who are waiting, waiting for God to keep his promises. And so Simeon and Anna are great examples of a group of people that we sometimes forget about, I think. They're faithful old covenant believers who have read their scriptures and have put their trust in God's promises, and they're looking forward to them being fulfilled. Um, we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that it's only the kind of the great heroes like Moses or David or Elijah um, who were the kind of Old Testament believers before Christ. There were many, many, many ordinary Jewish people who read their Bibles and lived with the same kind of faith we have, waiting for the Christ to come 
And in fact, Luke later on, right at the end of Acts, uses the same word to describe the Jewish people generally as people who are waiting with a hope in God, Acts 24. And so it seems to me that at the very start of this two-part work, Luke and then Acts are a kind of a two-part work, as we'll see in our community Bible reading experience. Right at the very start of this two-part work, Luke seems to be putting Simeon and Anna here as kind of portraits of Old Testament faithful believing Israel. One foot in the grave, glory faded, but waiting, holding on for the promised king. We've been reflecting quite a lot in our, in our service this evening about waiting. And I don't know about you, but it certainly helped me to see as we were praying particularly how hard it can be to wait in all the different situations that we have to wait in. And I guess it wasn't easy for Simeon and Anna either. Waiting day after day, coming into the temple, perhaps time after time, hoping that the Christ would be there. Instead of enjoying their retirements, they were committed to this job of waiting. Must have looked very strange to a lot of people, mustn't it? Instead of being sunning themselves by the Dead Sea, there they were in the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem, just, just waiting, really. Must have got harder and harder for them, mustn't it? Their eyesight gradually deteriorating, their bones stiffening up, harder to drag themselves into the temple again and again. But that's what they did. And at last, the day finally comes when Mary and Joseph come into the temple with this five-week-old infant baby Jesus. And the Holy Spirit draws Simeon into the temple to meet them. He takes the child in his arms and blesses God. And as he holds up the child, here's what he says, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon has got what he's been waiting for. He's got to see the Lord's salvation. For Simeon, this has been a salvation worth waiting for, hasn't it? He's overjoyed as he praises God. I think it's fascinating that he describes this baby child that he holds in his arms as salvation. Many of you have seen me holding a baby child in my arms uh, just recently on, on Christmas morning. Uh, I brought my newborn son uh, up, to the, uh, up to the lectern here. And they're, they're so dependent, aren't they, at that age? So weak, so helpless. And um, Jesus wasn't much older than this at this time. And yet Simeon holds him aloft and says, this is the Lord's salvation. Uh, Salvation is a really important word for Luke. He's already told us Jesus is going to be a saviour. We thought about that on Christmas morning. Uh, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. It's a really important word for Luke. It's going to come up over and over again as we read through Luke's gospel. It's a really important word for all of us, isn't it? Salvation. It's what God gives to us through Jesus. But it's a word that Different people use differently. Sometimes we can kind of use it a lot and we don't always know exactly what it means. And so I think it's worth taking a little bit of time this evening to see exactly what this salvation is that that has so inspired Simeon uh, to wait for so eagerly. Why is salvation worth waiting for? Um, When I first moved to Northern Ireland, I was very struck by hearing people talking about 
how they got saved or, or when they got saved. Uh, we don't quite use that, 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 that phrase in England uh, just as much. And I guess as I've, as I've heard it being said over here, um, it's something like, when I had a sense of my sins being forgiven uh, and I received a new life in Jesus. That's a really biblical idea. That's a really important, true thing uh, to be talking about. But it's not what Simeon's talking about here, is it? Simeon is already a believer in God. He's already got the Holy Spirit. He's already saved in that sense. This isn't the moment when he gets saved. And I think it's helpful to spot this, because if we just talk about salvation as that moment when we have a sense of God kind of coming into our hearts and we accept Jesus as our saviour, then we, we, we risk narrowing down salvation to just something that takes place in my heart. And the danger then becomes, if, if difficult times come, if we get swamped by waves of suffering or doubt or failure, we'll get grumpy. We'll, we'll start to feel within ourselves that we've got one foot in the grave. There's only so much we can rely on one memory, one experience, to keep us rejoicing in these times of waiting. We, we need a bigger salvation than just my sense of getting saved. And almost in response to that kind of narrowing of salvation, which I'm sure most of us have heard about before, um, it's been popular more recently to maybe think about salvation more in terms of deliverance or, or liberation. And people have pointed out that Jerusalem at this time was, was under the thumb of the Romans. And in fact, I found out as I was preparing for this uh, sermon that apparently the Romans had actually bought a, built a fortress right next to the temple. So we should imagine this conversation between Simeon and, and uh, Mary and Joseph taking place under the eye of the security forces, the, this oppressive regime. The, the security cameras are sort of swiveling in, if you like, on any insurrection kind of talk. And so people are sort of saying, well, if Simeon maybe isn't worrying so much about getting his sins forgiven, because he really is a faithful Old Testament believer, then maybe he's actually really talking about salvation in terms of getting a new leader to come and free his people from this oppression, to come and establish a new society, a society of peace and justice, a, a society that really looks like the kingdom of God. And so this is becoming quite a popular view. Salvation just isn't about little old me feeling like I've got my sins forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven. It's about society being transformed. Freedom and justice for all. The kingdom of God coming to earth. But before we get too far down that track, um, we might be best to ask, well, what does Luke think salvation is? What does Simeon think salvation is? And actually, both of them point us back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, there's lots of uh, language from Isaiah in, in Simeon's uh, blessing. And Luke explicitly points us to Isaiah uh, in verse uh, 25. When he tells us that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, we could also translate that word as the comfort of Israel. And does that start to ring any bells? You know that famous chapter in Isaiah, chapter 40, that begins like this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, kicks off 15 chapters 
which are some of the richest, uh, most panoramic uh, chapters in the whole Bible, I think. And they really lay out for us the meaning and the way of salvation right there in the Old Testament. And so if we want to see what salvation is that Simeon is waiting for, the thing that's got him excited, what he's longing for, it'd be a good idea to, to look back to Isaiah and to see. So why don't we turn up uh, Isaiah chapter 40, page 723. Isaiah chapter 40 begins like this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, Just stay on that page there and um, we'll just unpack that a little bit. Uh, The hard service there is a reference to the exile. Uh, God uh, had had punished his disobedient people by sending them into exile, uh, into captivity in Babylon. Uh, And Isaiah here is looking ahead to a time when that exile, that time of punishment, will be over. And that's going to be a day of comfort, a day when God says that he will speak tenderly again to Jerusalem. But do you see that that day of comfort, that day of ending of the exile, ending of the oppression, takes place when their sin has been paid for? And this is what Simeon is waiting for, I think. Um, It's very likely that Simeon still considers his people to be under God's judgment. Even though they're back in the land of Israel, they've really been under the power of one uh, foreign ruler after another. And so there's this sense that the exile isn't really over because their sins still haven't really been paid for. And those watching Roman soldiers are are really just a sign of that. So what Simeon, it seems to me, is longing for before he dies is to know that that exile, that that time of God's judgment on his people is going to come to an end. That God is comforting his people again. And to know that it really is the day now of salvation. Well, how does that come? Well, as Simeon uh, read on through these 15 chapters in Isaiah, he'd have seen that sin will only be paid for when this mysterious servant of God comes. This servant is somebody who is filled with the spirit. uh, Spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and of power, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He's a servant in whom God will display his splendor. And yet, he's a servant who will be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with grief. But in fact, Simeon would have read in Isaiah chapter 53, that this servant was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace at last, was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So Simeon would have seen all of this in Isaiah. He'd have seen that the Lord is going to comfort his people through a spirit-filled servant who can bear the sin of many. 
And Isaiah talks more. He, he talks more about how that's going to be like a redemption, like a kind of a new exodus, not just uh, coming out of Egypt into the promised land, but uh, uh, an exodus from slavery in this world of sin and death into a new creation, into a new heavens and a new earth where God dwells with his people forever. A whole new world. And all of this, I think, is what Simeon is seeing as he takes this baby in his arms from the parents. He says, now my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I see the spirit-filled servant here as an infant come to take away the sins of your people. Come to bring us into a whole new world. That's a salvation worth waiting for, isn't it? That's a salvation worth singing about. Because it's not just about me, but about the blotting out of sin and everything that comes from sin through the whole world. It's not just about lifting people out of hardship, bringing them freedom from oppression, but about God himself speaking tenderly to us, telling us that we don't need to fear anymore telling us that none other than his own son has come in the form of a servant to be the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So this is the comfort that Simeon finally receives as he holds this baby Christ in his hands. The day of comfort is here. The day of salvation has finally arrived. It's the salvation that makes him sing, even though he's got one foot in the grave, and friends, I think it can make us sing, can't it, too? To know that that saviour has come. <laughs> to know that that salvation, that day of comfort is, is today. It's now. It's bigger than anything that's happened to me. It's bigger than anything that can happen in society. It's nothing less than a whole new world. So when he sees Jesus, Simeon praises God that his waiting has been worthwhile. But with the Spirit filling him, he also prophetically looks forward through Jesus' life. And actually that gives us a sense of what we're going to encounter as we work through Jesus' life in the rest of Luke's Gospel. So that's going to help us. So Luke's got some kind of big themes that he wants to show to us right here at the start of his Gospel that we need to watch out for as we, as we read. So turn back to Luke chapter 2 and more briefly we'll pick up a couple of these themes. The first one is that this is going to be a salvation for the world. So salvation worth waiting for and a salvation for the world. Verse 32, Simeon sings that God has prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles or the nations and for glory to your people Israel. Isn't it amazing? Simeon says right under the noses of these Roman soldiers, right in the sight of all the peoples, God is preparing a saviour, not just for Israel, not just for these people who are still in exile, but for the whole world. And this is another reference to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah says that God's servant is going to be a light to the nations. So that's the first theme uh, that Luke wants to draw our attention to. 
And that's really going to help us as we work through Luke's gospel, I think. Um, Because inevitably, Jesus does spend a lot of his time with Jewish people. Um, And so we might sort of think, if we're not Jewish, what's the relevance of all of this for us? But it's important to see, I think, that in Luke's gospel, Jesus spends lots of time with outsiders, people like lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors. And that's encouraging for us, because as non-Jews, we're outsiders too. And so when we read about these lepers being healed or tax collectors forgiven, um, I hope that'll encourage us because these stories of Jesus bringing salvation to outsiders are Luke's way of showing us that the comfort for Israel is actually going to mean salvation for the whole world. Jesus is going to be here for all of us. We tend to take that for granted, don't we, that point that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world. But think back to that day and you realise how amazing it is. This boy, under the watchful eye of the imperial soldiers, he does turn out to be the saviour of the world. No wonder, verse 33, the child's father and mother marvelled at what what was said about him. But these words have proven to be true, haven't they? As we get to read on into Acts, we'll see the gospel starting to explode out into the ends of the earth. And it's still doing that today. So if we feel like we've got one foot in the grave as we go into 2019, perhaps it'll help us to remember this. Remember that this five-week-old boy, born to a poor family from a not very fancy town in Galilee, under the thumb of the most mighty army the world had seen to that point, that boy has now been recognised by billions the saviour of the world. Okay, that's the, that's the first theme. Final theme I want to pick out um, comes in Simeon's second prophecy, and this has got a slightly darker tone to it. Have a look at what Simeon says to Mary. Verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. A couple of years ago, there was a survey done in England about um, everyday evangelism, and they found lots of things that are quite encouraging. Uh, For example, just to give you one statistic, apparently two-thirds of practicing Christians, that means people who are coming to church fairly regularly, two-thirds of practicing Christians said they had a conversation with a non-Christian about Jesus in the last month. That's not bad, is it? I, I think, you know, even for myself, I think if I'm, if I'm doing that, I'm doing, doing pretty well. Um, but there were some less encouraging statistics in that report, and of course, these are the ones that made the headlines. So the Telegraph wrote uh, this, Start new research shows that practicing Christians who talk to friends and colleagues about their beliefs are three times as likely to put them off God as to attract them. Oh dear, it's not as encouraging, is it? Frank was encouraging us this morning to to try and really focus on on pointing people to Jesus, like John the Baptist did. So does that mean if we all go out and do that more this uh, this coming year, people will be three times less likely to to come to know Christ? I don't know how accurate the statistic is, but 
But there is something there, isn't there? That actually sometimes we, we do share things with people and they, it actually seems to make them more likely to turn away from God. That can be discouraging. That can make us feel uh, like it's really not worth bothering about. So I've found it helpful again to look at Simeon's words. Because Simeon's very honest about this. That's no surprise, is it? At the same time that Jesus is going to be this wonderful light to the nations, Simeon says he is going to be a sign that is spoken against. It's not going to be all joy to the world and peace on earth, goodwill to men, as this boy grows up. There's going to be conflict and opposition and hostility. And so the final theme uh, to mention this evening, this is a salvation that is going to be opposed. And that's going to be a really big theme as we read on in Luke and in Acts. Uh, There's going to be lots of rejection of Jesus, and we'll see that as we go through I think it is helpful, isn't it, to see that it has always been like this. Wherever the name of Jesus has been lifted up, there has been rejection, as well as many people coming to him. But it's, it's still hard for us to get our heads around that, isn't it? I don't know if that feels like much comfort to you at the minute. So why is it that Jesus causes this kind of this split whenever he comes? Why is it that God's salvation has this negative effect as well as this positive one? Well, one thing that connects um, both what Simeon says here in verse uh, 34, um, sorry, verse 35, and in verse uh, 32 is this word revelation. You see it there in verse 32. He's going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then verse 35, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That's the same word in both. It's, It's that word apocalypse. It means unveiling. And this is what Jesus does. He makes God known to the nations. He's a light to the nations. And he's also a light that reveals the thoughts of many hearts. So I find it helpful to think of a big searchlight sweeping through the rain. For those who want to be found, a searchlight is a a beacon of hope, isn't it? It tells you that your saviour is here. Come into the light and you'll be rescued. But for somebody who's, who's trying to run away, A light like that is a scary thing. It's something that you want to hide from. It's a danger and a threat because it threatens to expose you. And Simeon says that Jesus is just such a blazing light. Jesus reveals the rescuing God for all to see. He makes it impossible to doubt that God is a God of salvation. And because of that, he will unveil whether people really want that, whether they really want to come into the light, whether they really want to be found and live under the Lord's gracious rule. That's what's happening uh, in Luke, in Acts. It's what's happening today. It's what's going to happen in 2019. God's salvation is here. He's being seen by millions. And some will be drawn to him and some will not. He's going to be a sign for both the falling and the rising of many. Well, here in our part of the world, we do perhaps feel like we're seeing the negative side of that a bit, don't we? But in a way that I think that only really puts us right back where Simeon is. Like Simeon, we're still waiting, aren't we, for the Christ to come. 
But now we're waiting for him to come a second time to bring final, full salvation, to bring in this whole new world that we're eagerly waiting for. So as we conclude, here's a suggestion for a different kind of New Year's resolution. Maybe instead of resolving to do something this year, why don't you resolve simply to wait? To be somebody who's not going to be discouraged by whatever uh, ominous portents uh, are delivered in our news headlines, whatever discouragements you encounter in your personal life, whatever the church looks like in 2019, why don't you resolve to be somebody who's going to be like old Simeon? Yeah, we may have one foot in the grave, but we've certainly got something to sing about. We've certainly got something to look forward to. Because God's promised comfort has come. The light of salvation is shining. And soon he will lead us to a whole new world. And so through him and with him be glory and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Father, we we thank you for old Simeon and his example of faithful waiting. Father, strengthen our hearts that we might be like him. That we might embrace the Saviour who has come to us and hold fast to him, waiting, 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 until our eyes see in all their fullness your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.